Oakland Woods. This is Oakland Woods. One of the authors, and I, I got connected with this author, and I've been reading a book by him. find it fascinating. I find all of his YouTube things interesting, too. And, uh, it's a man by the name of Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is a professor, a clinical uh, psychologist professor at the University of Toronto in Canada. And he wrote this book, and I find it brilliant. He's not a believer, I must say, he's not a believer. But so many of the things he talks about parallels the Bible. It's just fascinating to me. I don't believe he knows Christ as a Savior. But he wrote this book, and uh, halfway through it, I totally recommend it. I don't know what the second half is going to be like. Uh, but he wrote this book called 12 Rules for Life. There's one I want to emphasize, not just yet. Hold on a second. But he had different, his rules are, and I'll give you a summary of it. One of his rules, number one, is to stand up straight with your shoulders back. Uh, number four is... Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Number five is, don't let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. That's good. Number eight, tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Number ten, be precise in your speech. Number eleven, I, I haven't gotten to this one yet, but I don't know if I'm going to like this one. Number eleven, don't bother teenagers when they are skateboarding. <laughs> Number 12 is pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. But it's number six that I thought of goes perfectly with our message today is this. Number six is this. Set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. Set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. And he summarizes this, and this is how he summarizes this point, and it's this. Clean, the, clean up your room. And he makes this great point that we have told this current generation and millennials and everybody coming up that they can change the world, that they can clean up all the mess that's going on in the world, and they can fix it. And he says, before you bother fixing the world, before you bother changing the world, why don't you clean up your own room first? And he goes on to make some really great points that when you change, you clean up your room, it changes you psychologically. And he's a psychologist, changes you psychologically. He even says that if you're in a, a home that's messy and you clean up your room and keep it consistently about how hard it is to keep your room clean, the other people in your home will get mad at you and say things like, what do you think, you're better than the rest of us? What do you think, you have to have a nice, neat room? All of us are slobs and you're keeping your room. He, clean up your room. And why I want to emphasize this today is, when we come to the subject of making an impact on the world, of changing the world, we always think of some huge global type mission, something that, something that happens if we go to Africa or Europe or, or Asia or South America or such, something that happens if we go to a, a Detroit or the other side of the stage or anything else, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Listen, this talk, this message that I'm giving you today, this is not anti-mission trip. But it can be very clear. I've gotten on a plane and gone to Africa. I've gone across the country. I've done all this. But this is what this is about. Don't go to another country to serve God if you won't serve God right here. Don't be willing to get on a plane and go 20 hours to another country to tell people about Jesus if you won't tell people right here. Don't go on a mission trip to Detroit or another part of the country to share the gospel with somebody else. If there's someone in your home, if there's someone in your bedroom who doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior today, before you try to clean up and fix the world and criticize what the world is doing, clean up your own mess first. 
Clean up the mess that's right in front of you. Yes, we should reach the world. Say amen. amen. But you know what? The light that shines furthest shines brightest at home. That is deep. You were not expecting me to go that deep on this morning, right? The light that shines furthest shines brightest at home. Clean up your room first. <coughs> Parents, why don't you reach your kids with the gospel first? Why don't you minister to the people? You know, Pastor, if I just want to do something for Jesus, you know what's fascinating? You don't have to leave Clarkston to do something for Jesus. In fact, I'll get real specific. You don't have to leave the south part of Clarkston where we're at. You don't even have to cross Sashabal Road to reach to do something for Jesus. Do you know how many boys and girls right here in this community don't know Christ as their personal Savior? Do you know how many of them have never heard the name of Jesus? I think all of them are here on Wednesday night. <laughs> Until 9.30, you can invite somebody to Awana, but maybe you Please don't. There are so many kids. No, I can't. It was great, wasn't it, George? We had 40 kids here. Did we have enough adults for 40 kids? No, we didn't have enough adults for 40 kids. You come help. So I, I don't really like kids. But anyway, <laughs> just make sure one kid has a good time, doesn't get hurt. We need help. These kids are going to start learning God's Word. You know, probably about half of those kids we, that were here have never probably really heard about Jesus. I bet you that 40, majority of them have never accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Oh, but Pastor, when are we going to go to Africa again? When are we going to go to Europe? When are we going to go to South America again? When are we going to go to China? Pastor, let's go to China and share the good news of Jesus Christ. You don't have to get on a boat or a plane. There's boys and girls. You know, some of them, they're right where you're sitting on Wednesday night right here in this very room who you can share the gospel of Jesus with. There's senior citizens just within this little area who never have anyone come to their house, who never just knock on their door and just spend a little time with them and ask them how they're doing. But Pastor Steve, I want to make a worldwide impact. Do you know what you need to do first? Clean up the issue in right in front of you before you go to the rest of the world. Amen? You see, there's a mess right here, and our community needs us. What is Oakland Woods about? Well, if you're taking notes today, Oakland Woods. Oakland Woods is a church ready to minister to hurting people. It's a church ready to minister to hurting people. There's a spiritual thirst that's going out there. There's a spiritual thirst that we're talking about today, and that's the subject of our message. This is thirst. A spiritual thirst, and what people are trying to do, they're trying to fill this spiritual thirst with physical issues and physical needs. And it never works. It takes on different forms. People, there's a spiritual gap of thirsty going on. So what people do, some will overeat. Some will get involved in gambling. Some girls, some young ladies become promiscuous. Because there's a spiritual hole that's taking place in their life. Some people can use heroin. Some people use drugs and alcohol. Some people use materialism. You just want to prove your dad wrong, then you're going to get a bigger house, and you're going to get more and more and more and more. And what you're doing is you're trying to fill the spiritual need with the physical issue, and you will never answer a spiritual problem with a physical solution. There is a spiritual problem inside all, and it takes on different... Some people try and fill it with pornography. You know the thing about all of these, all of these issues? They never satisfy. What, what once was 
hey, and a shot of whiskey kind of takes the numb off, right? And then, then eventually you get immune to it. Now it's two shots. Now it's three shots. Now it's four shots. Once you just wanted that promotion, but now you need a bigger house. But now everybody else has a boat, but now you need a house and a boat and a place up north. you got to get more and more. Once it was just a Twinkie, now, be honest, if anybody actually knew how much you actually spent at McDonald's, they'd be shy. Because now you're just trying to fill it and fill it and fill it. This is why people go from just a simple dabbling in these issues to full-blown addictions and problems and habits and hang-ups and hurts that completely destroy their lives. A physical problem, their, their spiritual problem, they're trying to meet with a physical solution. Celebrate Recovery is all about, as we already said, hurts, hang-ups, and habits through taking notes. In John chapter 4, Jesus is ministering to one of these people. And you know what? There's a person right there in front of him he cleans up his own room before he tries to go and do anything else. I'm going to talk a little bit about this woman before we get into this. Can I tell you, 21-year-old Pastor Steve, you know, preaching. 21-year-old Pastor Steve looked at this woman and had nothing but bad things to say about her. Because what she's doing, we're going to find out she's been married five times. Now she's just living with a guy. Some people, some believe that she might even been a prostitute. That's not a fact at all. Pastor Steve, 44 years old, I'll be 48 this month, with five girls from 23 to 2. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> now looks at her as somebody's little girl. As I read this passage of scripture, this passage of scripture, this chapter, always makes me cry because I wonder what happened to that little girl. I wonder if her father abandoned her and she's trying to fill this gap with physical intimacy. I wonder if some pervert touched her. That works hard. And she's been kind of trying to deal with this issue instead of dealing with the spiritual aspect of it. She's trying to self-medicate. Instead of with a drug and alcohol, she self-medicates with relationships. Does this sound familiar to any of you? Does it sound like somebody you would know? And yet, Jesus treats you with dignity and respect. No matter where or who you are, there's a thirst inside of you. And the only thing that will quench it is Jesus. In John 4, 4, it says this, and he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus doesn't have to go through Samaria. He is going to go through this for a reason and a purpose. And the purpose well, the purpose is this lady that many of us would throw out. So today, instead of preaching to you, I'd like to do this a little different. I'd like to just kind of walk through the scripture together. Unfortunately, somebody keeps shrinking the words in my Bible. <laughs> Wherever you are, it's not funny stuff. And so I need my glasses to kind of see my Bible a little bit better. So let's pick up the story here in verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. Can I stop there for a moment? Let's just stop. I'm going to stop the way out of me. Um, Jesus is tired. He's weary. He, he's had a long day. He's been traveling, and not traveling in a car. He's been walking. He said, well, Pastor Steve, I work on Wednesday nights. That's good. 
I'm glad you're working and paying taxes. There's a lot of people depending on you. You got that too. Jesus is weary. Well, I'm tired. I need my time. I need my alone time. I could never work in the bus ministry. I could never work in children's ministry. I could never visit a senior citizen. I'm tired. I am exhausted. I'm sure glad Jesus wasn't too tired to minister to this woman. Very good friend of mine. Real snotty guy. Anytime somebody, especially teenagers, would say something like, well, I can't do this because of that, and he would always come back. I'm sure glad Jesus didn't say that when he was dying on the cross for you. Well, I can't be there because I got football practice. Well, I'm sure glad Jesus didn't say that when he was dying on the cross. You'd be going to hell. Well, I can't be there because I've got this, this. Jesus is tired, and yet he's not too tired to minister to people that need him. Tell you something, I'm sure glad Jesus wasn't tired the day I asked Christ to come to my heart and be my Savior. Back here in verse 6. And sat thus upon the well, and it was about the sixth hour. All right. Let's stop here for a second. We're going to see in verse 7 that a woman comes out. The sixth hour in the King James Version, I'm using, maybe your Bible changes it differently, says noon. Day starts at 6 a.m., six hours is noon. This is in a hot climate, right? It's in a dusty, hot climate. The ladies were in charge of the home, and what normal good ladies would do is that they would go out in the morning before the sun would come up, or just as the sun came up, because it's hot, and they would go get their water from the day from the well and bring it to their home. Here is this lady out at noon. Now, there's a couple possibilities. I, I heard one person say that this maybe she has a hangover and she's sleeping late. That's a possibility. But I think the alternative possibility is this, that none of the ladies in town wanted to be associated with her. You, you know how, nobody in here, but you know how females are. Did you see what she wore in church? I heard, you know, her husband has been home. Okay, so this chick, this girl, is on her fifth husband, five husbands, and now we're going to find out later she's just living with a guy. Some people think she's a prostitute. She's the girl whose skirt is too short. She's the lady who puts on too much makeup. She's the one who everybody has a reputation. So the ladies want nothing to do with her. So in order to get her water so she doesn't hear the comments, the little snipe, you know, gets the water, and hear the ugly remarks that somebody says loud enough for her to hear, like, yeah, where are you going to that water? Is that your sixth husband now? And how many of you got this time? So she doesn't have to hear that. She goes in the hottest part of the day when nobody else is out there except for Jesus. If you're taking notes, let me just say this. This is our thought. A church should major in the outcast. One of my degrees, part of it is in uh, church growth, and I am disgusted, disgusted by what I see the majority of church growth books and magazines and seminars are about. You know what they're about? You don't need those old people. It, it phase out the old people in your church because, you know, they're going to die in 10 years. Mathematically, I guess you're right, but you don't need those old people. In fact, what you also need, you need to just, as a person of influence of the pastor, you need to spend your time with uh, people who are influencers, meaning spend your time with the mayor of your city. Spend your time with uh, executives. Spend your time with people who are wealthy. Spend your time with other people who have people under them so that you can influence them and they can influence them. Don't spend your time with teenagers, kids. Don't spend your time with people like this that are problem. You know what problem people do? They take up a lot of time. 
You get involved in somebody who's got problems, you need to sit down because one, they might tell you about it, or two, they might actually think you care, and then they start calling you when they have problems. You get involved with problem people, you're going to be there for a while, and it's going to get a little dirty and a little messy. Amen? But listen, Jesus didn't come to die just for the wealthy, the perfect, the family with the 2.2 kids, the people with the master's degree, the doctors and the lawyers. He came to die for everybody. And what I see around going on the world, most people are screwed up. I used to approach the world that everybody was like me. I'll be honest with you, I grew up in Leave It to Beaverland. I did. Seventh kid, I came home. Every day my mom had something there, a snack, cookies. She had everything but the pearls. My mom was June Cleaver all the way. I used to think everybody had that. Never heard my dad swear. Never saw my dad drink, smoke. My dad was always in church, played ball with me, everything. My dad, I, I mean, just a great man of God. I thought everybody had that. I approach people completely differently. I approach everybody that they come from some sort of screwed up major situation until I find out differently. Because listen, the majority of the world is outcast. You see some teenager walking down the street, right? And, and, and like a girl or a guy, they got half their head shaved, and the other half is purple or pink or some bright color. Especially when you're preaching against, no, I'm not preaching against. But you want to know why? All they're really saying is, somebody notice me. Let me stand out. Let me be noticed. Somebody pay attention to me. And you know where they should get that the most? Right here. This bothers people and they don't realize it, okay? This is some people's biggest problem with me. You ready to hear it? This is their biggest problem. It might be yours and you don't realize it. I'm going to give you words to it. I treat everyone the same. I make a big emphasis on that. Those little kids I picked up on the bus today and drove, some of those boys are insane. They're crazy. But you know that little four-year-old that runs around and is, oh my gosh. I treat him with just amount of respect and dignity as a vice president of a bank. And I've pastored vice presidents before. I've got to be honest with you, I think I'd take the four-year-old insane before I take another vice president. The church should major in the outcast, not the perfect. Amen? Look at verse 7 again. <clears throat> There cometh a woman of Jesus and said unto her, Give me drink. Okay, this startles her. Jesus isn't being rude. He's asking politely, hey, it was a very common thing. You would ask this of, this is something you would ask of your mother. This is something you would say to your grandmother. This is something you would say to somebody you love. Something, no self-respecting Jew would talk to a woman like this. Watch this in verse 8. For his disciples were gone away unto the city by me. We're going to talk about that at the end. She's going to see Jesus in four ways. This is classic if you've been in church. You might have even actually heard of this message before. But she sees Jesus four ways. First of all, number one, she sees him as a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Remember Samaritans? If you don't know this, historically our, our, our uh, what's the politically correct word for half-breeds? Uh, <laughs> intermarried, okay? I don't know. Samaritans are Jews and Gentiles, and they're half-half, okay? So the, the, the Gentiles didn't want anything to do with them, and the Jews certainly didn't want anything to do with them. So she says this to him. Then saith unto the, the, the woman of Samaria, unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew? I don't know if she said it that way. That's how it reads to me, thou being a Jew. Uh, ask drink of me, which I am a woman of Samaria. But the Jews have no dealings with thee. Um, a couple things here. First of all, it, aren't you glad we live in a time when race relationships are so good? 
I mean, that's what she's being right here. She's being racial, isn't she? Yeah. She's putting up a racial barrier, and she's, you know, she's saying, a Jew. And I don't know how she said it or what connotation she fully meant behind that, but she's being racial. But you know what she's really doing here? And if you ever try to share Jesus with somebody and talk to them, we talk personal evangelism, that's the big witnessing testimony. Hey, you try to share Jesus with somebody, they're going to do the same thing. She's putting up a barrier. Right? You tried to tell somebody about Jesus, and then they said, well, I, I, I'm not Baptist. I'm, I'm such and such. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. Or you try to tell them about Jesus, and they, they, they bring up what's going on in the Catholic Church right now. Or they say, well, what do you think about the president? Or what do you think about this political issue or abortion or something else like that? And it, There's no possible time for conversation for some of those. But what she's trying to do is put up a barrier. You want to know why she's putting up this barrier? Because every other man she let get close to her used and abused her. She's putting up barriers because she doesn't want anyone to get in close and to really know her. So she says, Marcy, you're a Jew. What else does she say? In verse 10, and Jesus answered and said unto her, uh, excuse me, he says, a Jew asketh me to, uh, to drink, me, who am a woman, that's a big key right there, of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. In verse 10, and Jesus answered and said unto her, Thou knewest, and I'll add the word, if you only knew the gift of God, and who it is, me, who it is that saith unto thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given it unto thee living water. Okay? Jesus is st sticking to the spiritual topic at hand. Again, she's going to think physical. She's going to think of dealing with a spiritual need physical reasons. Of the fifth. That's what she's been doing her whole life. That's what her father taught her to do. That's what her mother taught her to do. Whatever her situation, that's what her first boyfriend in junior high taught her. Everything about her dealing with this spiritual need has taught her to deal with it through physical intimacy. And she's going to think physical again. Second way she sees Jesus, she sees him as a man. Look at verse 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, first she said Jew, now she says Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence thou art, hast thou that this living water. Art thou greater than the father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and the children of his... She's putting up another defense mechanism. She starts bringing up Jacob. For the Jews and the Samaritans, Jacob was a big controversial topic, and who actually is the father of everything. You know what she's doing? First topic was race. Now she's going to use religion. Well, you're a different religion than me, and I'm a... Listen to me. We just celebrated the uh, 17th anniversary of 9-11. You know what 9-11 was? 9-11 was a religious event. 9-11 was religion on display. Religion said, you're different than us. Religion gave them an excuse to kill and murder people. And even when it was brought up, hey, you killed other Muslims. Well, they're not the right type of Muslims. They don't do it exactly the way we do, so that gave us an opportunity. Religion is evil. It is man's way, an attempt to justify before God. You do not need religion. You need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 13. And Jesus saith unto him, Her whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. She, she, he points to the physical water. The well. You drink this, you're going to thirst again. By the way, isn't that true of all this other stuff I mentioned? Is it true of pornography? Is it true of promiscuity? Is it true of drugs? Is it true of alcohol? Is it true of materialism? Is it true of anything? You got a little bit of it, and it's not going to satisfy you. It may numb you for the night. It may numb you for the weekend. It may make you feel like a big man for a month, 
but eventually it's going to go down and you're going to need more of it. Jesus says this stuff, you'll thirst again if this is your answer. Back here. But whosoever drinketh of the water I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Again, she's thinking physical. So here's her answer. Let's try this new drug. Let's try this new relationship. Let's try this new habit. The woman saith unto her, Sir, well, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come unto the draw. Watch Jesus. Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. And Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. She's got five. Now she's not, she didn't even bother to marry this guy. She's just shacking up and living with him. The next verse, I, in my mind again, we might get to heaven and I'm completely wrong. I think she says this looking down at her feet. It, it's an awkward moment. So verse, eight, verse 18, or verse, eight, verse 17. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and then saith thou truly. Um, two things. Two things. What I see out of this verse. Number one, Jesus knows all about your sex life. That's shocking. He's God. He knows what you do on a prom night. He knows what you do when no one's around. He knows every website you've been to. He knows the app on your phone. Jesus knows about your physical life. Let that sink in for a moment. Now, the second thing you've got to tell, think about this is this. No one does the subject of physical intimacy perfect. Whether you're this woman at the well who's probably a prostitute, or whether you've lived a really good life and you've followed Christ your entire life and you got married as a virgin, everybody in this room has some level, right, between prostitute and virgin, between some level, everyone in here has done something on this subject wrong. Amen? No, no, that's not good enough because now you're being judgmental like that's not me, Pastor Steve, liar. Everyone in here has done something on some level. Everyone say Amen. amen. I mean, it could be something small and minor, and you'd be like, well, I just kind of wish I hadn't dated that guy my junior year. And, you know, I wish in college I hadn't gone out with her and everything. I mean, everybody hears something. Or it could be like this woman at the well. I mean, you just came off last night walking a street corner or turning tricks or something like that. Everyone in here has a problem with this subject. You know what you need to do? Well, religion would say this. You should feel bad about yourself. What does that teach you? You should do some good works to counteract it, right? But that's what Lent is, right? You get to act like a complete moron and ungodly your whole life, but for like 40 days, I'm just going to give up chocolate. <laughs> Where is that in the Bible? <laughs> you know what you need to do? If you know Christ as your personal Savior on this subject, repent. You're married, maybe you and your wife and husband, or what you do. You get down by the side of your bed and say, you know what? We didn't always do this perfectly. Repent. And you know what? From this day forward, do it right. <laughs> From this day forward, do it right. Amen? It's awkward when the preacher talks about sex. Third thing she sees Jesus, she sees him as a prophet because she's starting to say things about her and then she can't say, look what she says. 
The woman said unto him, Sir, 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 I perceive that thou art a prophet. Let's skip forward to verse 25 for time's sake. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which shall be called Christ. And when he cometh, he shall tell us all things. She says, I know the Messiah is going to be able to do this. And I know this is getting close to where the Messiah should be. She's like, are you the Messiah? Watch what Jesus does here. Some people will say, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. John Hagee wrote a whole book by saying that. Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Watch what Jesus says here about that. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I don't know how clear it could get. The one who's talking to you is the Messiah. I am the Christ. Watch what happens here. The fourth way she sees him, she sees him as the answer. In verse 27, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked to the woman. They're not going to say this out loud because you're not going to say something bad for that Jesus. Weird, because Jesus knows your personal physical intimacy. He also knows what you're thinking, the Bible tells us. But they're going to think this, and they're not going to say it out loud. What they're thinking is, uh, why is he talking to this woman? Yet no man said it. What seekest thou, or why talkest thou to her? What she does is in verse 28. Okay, remember, she doesn't talk to the women of the town. Remember that, right? Say yes. Okay, like you've been paying attention and not on your phone, all right? She doesn't talk to women. She's probably a prostitute. Since she did travel around a lot, she probably was physically intimate with many or a lot of the men in the town. By the way, you know, if men would behave themselves, a lot of these problems would go away. There's ladies right now on Eight Mile and Woodward, different parts of Detroit and everything, prostituting their bodies and stuff. We could make laws saying it's illegal and put these women in jail. But if men would stop paying, they would stop being out there. Watch what she says. Remember, she doesn't talk to women. She only talks to men, and she probably knows all, a lot of these men physically. And the woman then left her water pot. Why did she come that day? And she left it. That's, that's really cool. That's like a Hallelujah moment. But you're Baptist, and some of you are sleeping. It might wake you up. Okay. She left her water pot, and then what did she do? And went her way to the city, and saith unto the who? Saith unto the woman? Saith unto the ladies? Saith unto who? The men. So what does she tell these men who she's probably been physically intimate with? What does she tell them? This is funny. Come see a man who told all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? What? He's telling about what that you did? I don't know if you know this, but adultery, fornication, prostitution, whatever you want to call it, it's not a solo sport. It involves another person and here, the lady you've been paying money to to be physically intimate, possibly on the side, gets in front of everybody here at the local lodge and everything. She comes in and says, hey, there's a guy telling everything I've ever done. That would get your attention, wouldn't it? They all come. They hear Jesus. And what's the result? This is amazing. Skip all the way down to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. That's Jesus. For the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him, and they would tarry, them, tarry with him, and he abode there two days. Don't leave us, we want you. So you know what Jesus does? He stays there. That sinful, dirty town. In verse 41, and many more believe because of whose? His word. And I love what verse 42 says. And they said unto the woman, we have believed, not because of thou saying we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed, the Christ, look at the end of verse 42, the 
Christ, the Savior of the world. He is the answer for what thirstless. And a revival takes place. But in the midst of this great revival and God working, miracle taking place, people missed it. In the, you know what? In the midst of God working in open woods, people miss it. People miss it and they're not part of what God is doing. Let me give you three things as we close this. Who missed the opportunity to help? Number one, well, religion avoided the need of the people. No self-respecting Jew or rabbi would have gone through Samaria talked to this woman. Nobody would have. And he would have moved away from it and had nothing to do with it. That word thirst there in the original language is an interesting word. It means to suffer thirst, to suffer from thirst. You know what the key word there is? Suffer. There's a lost and dying world. There's, there's, there's little boys and girls trying to adjust for the horror of their parents of what's happened to them. Someone said this, and I think it's accurate. We don't raise kids anymore. Kids just survive enough to be adults. Amen. But I want to say this to you. No bowing, no lighting candles, no good works, and no drugs, alcohol, promiscuity, sleeping around, bigger house, Twinkie, anything. Relationship, right? Somebody, I just want somebody to love me, so I'm going to have a child early because I just want somebody to love me. None of that will fulfill the thirst that you have. The only thing is Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I can be real clear so you don't take this as some sort of, I'm not talking about a historical Jesus and following Jesus' path or anything. No, I'm talking about the hypostatic Jesus, the Jesus that was fully God and fully man, the Jesus that was God's son, the second part of the Trinity, the God son because he loved you so much, who was born of a virgin, who lived 33 sinless years, who died on a cruel Roman cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later came out on the first Easter. That Jesus is the only one that will heal your thirst and your pain. And the only way you get healed is by accepting him as your personal Savior. You can keep trying to self-medicate with drug, sex, rock and roll relationships, whatever your thing is, the lottery, it doesn't matter. All it will do is make you more thirstier. It is only Jesus that heals. Number two, who missed it? The disciples were busy with administrative concerns. It's so easy to be to see what has to be done and miss out why you were there in the first place. The disciples missed a revival. Why? Well, verse 8. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. You can find every reason under the sun not to help somebody. Some of them might be legitimate reasons. Some issues might be too big for you to pastor this person's real. I am not really trained to deal with that. I understand. But there's probably somebody whose life you touch that you are trained to deal with. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, every one of you are trained to just share your testimony of what God did in you and evangelize the world. You can find every excuse under the sun, but you're missing out on a miracle. Maybe you think miracles are when God puts a leg back on, or God opens up eyes, or God heals somebody financially, or brings up, you know what the greatest miracle you'll ever see? is when you invest time in somebody and love them and get the opportunity to hold their hands and help them pray to accept Christ as their personal Savior and open them up and to see a new child of God before you. Once was lost, now is found. 
Once was an enemy of God, now the family of God. Once was destined for hell, now is going to heaven. Once was bearing the burden for their sin, now is washed whiter than snow. You want to see a miracle? That's a miracle. Or you can miss out on it because you're buying meat. Can I just ask you something? I'm not to be vulgar. What happened to that meat? Well, they ate it and it's gone. What happened to this woman? Well, one day if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll meet her in heaven. Number three, and even the woman, the woman placed barriers to being helped. She tried to change this conversation. She tried to get religious. She tried to get racial. She, she tried to get into a fight, a theological discussion, a political debate. Why? It is a, I, I want to say the word sick. Maybe that's not the right one. But it is a sick cycle people get into. Something comes in their life and it creates pain and issues and they try to deal with it because of something else came in their life. Dad let them down. Somebody did something horrible. Or it, it, they create a barrier. And now, to never let anybody else get close, but in order to get close, to, to minister and heal this issue, they're going to have to open up again and trust one more person. Listen, I am not asking you to trust me. I am not asking you to trust the deacons or Sunday school teacher, any person. What I am begging you to do is to finally and for one time open up and let Jesus finally come in and save you. Would you finally open up and let him come in and minister to it? I don't care what your dad said. I don't care what your mom did, what your uncle thinks. It's all about Jesus. Would you finally open up and break down the barriers and let Jesus minister to you? Today, you stand at the edge of having a new beginning. You don't have to be the person your dad said you were. The cross of Jesus is more powerful than anything in your life. You don't have to live with the guilt. That's not God. God's not guilt. God forgives. God restores. The grace of God is available. You don't have to keep your sin. The blood of Jesus washes you whiter than snow. A couple weeks ago, for fall festival, I was cutting the grass. And, uh, Cutting the grass out here by maybe, and I cut the grass, and something shot out, and it got my attention because I recognized the color. Uh, the color was green; it was money. Uh, turned out to be a one-dollar bill. You say, "Well, what did you?" Well, I stopped the mower and I got out. Uh, if you had five kids, you'd stop the mower and get out for a one-dollar bill too. <laughs> I realized what had happened. There was a dollar bill out there on the wire, and my mower came through and just and tore it all up. And then I turned the mower off and I started looking for the pieces and put it together. Because I know this, if you have enough percentage of a dollar bill, you can take it to a bank and they'll give you a new one. And uh, I need dollar bills is anywhere I can find them and stuff. Weddings are expensive. So um, I thought about that and I thought, what a great illustration for today. People get thrown out. You're only a dollar. You're just a teenager. You're just a, a, a little kid. You're, you're, you're not really important. You're a senior citizen. You've been divorced. You have an addiction. You're, you don't have much money to offer anybody. People get taken and thrown out. And you know what's really sad about it? I really thought about it. How many people like me in churches run right over them? They've already been thrown away. 
we just tear them up. The man Jesus, he goes looking for these pieces. No matter who broke it, no matter who tore it up, because they're valuable to him. If I was a magician, I would love to be able to take this and then fold it and make it like that. But I'm not a magician. So let's just pretend real quick, okay? Abracadabra. Oh, <laughs> That's what Jesus does, doesn't he? See, some of you know that it should be true. You could have been an addict, you could have been like this lady, or you could have just been like me, a kid grown up and leave it to beaver. But at a young age was told he was a sinner going to hell and just asked Jesus to come into his heart. Either way, no matter how mangled you up, no matter how much the world says you have value or don't value, when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, this is how Jesus sees you. And if I was going to be real accurate with this, I'd get like a hundred dollar bill. But I'm a Baptist preacher, I haven't seen a hundred dollar bill in years. <laughs> Maybe even a million dollars. Why not today? Would you do me a favor today for our invitation? If you don't know Christ, if you never accepted Jesus, I'm going to be down front. Would you help me give this invitation? Because in an invitation like this, everyone's going to be like, ooh, what's going on with their life? What does she have to do? So this is what we're going to do. Our invitation is going to be for you to come pray for somebody like this lady. Everyone in here has a lady or a, lady or a boy or a man. Or, there's somebody in your life who's like this woman at the well who needs Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to come pray for that person. And while everybody who's perfect comes and prays, some of you that are like this, you sneak in and you talk to Jesus too, okay? We're just going to assume everybody's perfect and never had a problem and everybody's pristine and perfect and everything like that. They're just praying for all the sinners they know. But you slip in in the group. Why don't you talk to Jesus? Some of you, and, and again, as a father of five girls, there's somebody who will love you not just for your body and not just to use you. And it's Jesus. That's where it starts. Everybody have to close your eyes. Me and you and Jesus for a moment. I want to look around. This world is so ugly and horrible. We see news stories all the time. Just oh, a child was murdered, a person was found in this one, a woman was raped, a baby, a baby. Ah. Let me just remind you before we casually turn the channel and go to the next webpage. These are people, these are somebody's boy or girl, this is somebody's child. But even more than that, this is a person that Jesus died for. They are thirsty. They are begging for something to fill this need. And they're trying to do it physically. Won't you be part of the solution to helping meeting that need? Their invitation, you're going to come pray for somebody else. Everyone thinks you're perfect, so don't worry. But if you're in that group, you just need to talk to Jesus for a moment. Would you do it? The band will play. We'll turn our steps to an altar. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you take things that are thrown out, bruised, nobody finds any value, and you put them all back together. Thank you, Father. You did it with me, and there's countless of other stories in this room of what you've done. Lord, we know you can do it again. Bless our invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you stand with me today? This band sings a song. Would you help me? Everybody who's got perfect lives and no problems in it, would you help me give the invitation? And anybody else who has an issue, you follow along with us. Would you respond today? <laughs> 